the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Okay, welcome. Uh, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me on this, well, Ash Wednesday, but also Valentine's Day. And if you enjoyed the history of Valentine's Day, then I would encourage you to go to the American Minute, where if you go to theamericanminute.com with my friend William J. Federer, most of what I talked about will be at the website. Just type in origin of St. Valentine's Day and all kinds of wonderful, interesting information will be there. And I, of course, uh, really enjoy William Federer. He, of course, a friend, and he will be at Calvary South Denver on February 25th. So 303-873-1935 is my number if you want to join me on the program. And I had several questions about um, a person who basically made the statement that the Trinity was invented at the Council of Nicaea and that the Trinity is not taught in the Bible and that Jesus really isn't God. And uh, a person who claims that they're a scholar and, and knows a lot about the Bible um, says that people like me um, talk about these terms, but they don't that we don't provide passages of scripture. So I'm hoping to be able to help people understand in simplest terms what Christians believe about the Trinity and how the Trinity is essential to doctrine of Christianity, and that um, for a person who calls themselves a Christian but denies the deity of Jesus and the doctrine of Trinity, they find themselves outside of um, Orthodox historical biblical Christianity. But again, if you'd like to join me on the program, 303-873-1935-303. 873-1935. Let's see who's up. Melody, welcome to the program. Hi there, uh, Gino. Hi. I just wanted to, you gave such a wonderful uh, history of Valentine's Day and such. I was wondering, could you do the same or something similar regarding Lent and uh, Ash Wednesday? Sure. Sure. Even for us I... that aren't practicing Catholics, I don't know, maybe that's other religions do it but but you know what i talked about uh the origin of ash wednesday in the first hour i don't know if you were listening oh i was not able to so i can go back and listen so i don't want you to have to repeat but but, no 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 but i do want to uh just at least give you a thumbnail sketch if you don't mind Um, no so lent was a period of fasting moderation self-denial that was traditionally practiced by catholics and some protestants and it began on Ash Wednesday and then ends on Easter Sunday. So according to the tradition, there's 40 days that lead up to 
the what's called the Lenten fast. So the the Lenten fast was a time that um, was established right around the fourth century as forty six days. So it's forty days, not counting Sundays. And um, so this was a period of sacrifice, self-denial that leads up to Resurrection Sunday, if you will. So during Lent, participants are, were, um, well, traditionally, they practiced uh, fasting. And, and I can talk more about fasting later. But so they would usually give up a, a particular food or a particular habit. And so fast forward into the future and people would give up candy or chocolate uh, or smoking um, or in the modern era, well, I'm going to fast from watching television. Or they would say, okay, I'm only going to watch one show on television or I'm only going to watch cable or, you know, so now I'm only going to listen to the radio or I'm going to stop eating candy or I'm going to stop telling lies and so it's six weeks of self-discipline. Now, what's dangerous about this idea is the idea, it's called asceticism. You, you punish your body in order to purify your soul in the hopes that that will please God. So in Colossians chapter 2, that's forbidden. In other words, it's forbidden because mm. you're accepted in Christ in this sense. In other words, the practice... So, so the Bible doesn't condemn fasting. As a matter of fact, it it applauds fasting. Mm-hmm. But, but the purpose of fasting is is you forsake food for the purpose of nourishing your soul in the sense of, well, instead of eating a sandwich, I'm going to read my Bible or I'm going to pray. Now, what's interesting about that is there are a lot of examples of people fasting in the Old and the New Testament. However, fasting wasn't commanded to the to the Jewish people except one day a year. So back to Lent, okay? For centuries, people who observed Lent thought that it gave them added spirituality, and that's the danger. It's the idea, again, that you punish your body in order to purify your soul. The Bible says that can't happen because mm-hmm. you're either accepted in Christ or you're not. Mm-hmm. I, I know that sounds pretty stark, but that's what the no. Bible teaches. So exactly, a lot of Catholics believe that giving up something for Lent is a way to attain God's blessing or God's approval. And so the Bible teaches that grace can't be earned. It's the gift of righteousness. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, so that no one can boast. And Jesus, when he taught about fasting, he said, look, when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their face to show men that they're fasting. But I tell you the truth. They've received their reward in full. He said, rather, when you fast, put oil on your head, think, think, um, you know, product, and wash your face so that it will be obvious, so that it won't be obvious to, to men that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. So Jesus says, wash your face, 
which seems to conflict with the practice of rubbing ashes on your head. But again, I don't want to go too, I, I don't want to be dismissive. In other words, for, for other people, in other words, the ash becomes a type and a picture of identifying with the fact that you are dust and to dust you're going to return. And so I think that there are people who might be motivated by humility and they go, hey, look, I just want to uh, remind everyone, dust I am and to dust I'm going to return. So is fasting a good thing? Yes, it can be a good thing anatomically, health-wise. Is it even a good spiritual discipline? Yeah. Um, If you're going to, again, starve your body for the purposes of feeding your soul. So, again, I I don't have any uh, clear belief that if you want to observe Lent, you can. You're free to do so. If you don't want to, you're free to do that as well. The key is to repent of your sin and consecrate yourself to God all year round. (laughs) Yes. So, so Don't just change for 40 days. Change for... Forever. No, yes. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. And I apologize that I had to duplicate some things, but. No, no, I'm happy. I'm so glad you called because guess what? I love to talk about this stuff. Well, thank you so much, Gino. And happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to you, too. Thanks for joining me. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci, so glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935, A talk show host um, basically mentioned on his program that the doctrine of the Trinity was invented by the Council of Nicaea. And I wanted to point out that that's just simply not true. The Trinity is Christianity's most unique, defining, incomprehensible, and awesome mystery. It is the revelation of who our almighty creator actually is. He's not just a small G-O-D but an infinite self-existing being. And Christians are monotheists. We don't believe that there are three gods. We believe that there is one infinite being. Um, This particular talk show host said, well, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says that the Father is equal to this or co-equal and co-eternal. And that's because, again, That specific language doesn't occur, but the specific language of eternality and equality does come through in the Bible. And so the Bible teaches that one self-existent infinite being exists, that this one being exists in three persons and that the God, that the father is god and that the son is god that's jesus christ and that the holy spirit is god that's the holy ghost and again the origin of the doctrine of the trinity 
they 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 say, well, you can't find that in the Bible. And it is true that the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. So why do Christians believe in a Trinity? And the answer in part is because of what the Bible teaches. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Shema Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10, it says, before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. There's, there's not two gods, there's not three gods. And according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, the Father is God. Grace unto you and peace, the scriptures say, from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when the people say, well, wait a minute, there it is. God is the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you have a monistic view, then you are dismissive of Jesus as God. You say, he's the son, but he is not God. Well, all Orthodox Christians agree that Jesus is God. Now, that might hurt some people's feelings, but the truth is, if you do not believe that Jesus is God, then you are outside the camp of historical biblical, orthodox Christianity. So for the person who says, well, who disputes the claim, well, not all orthodox Christians believe the Trinity. No, all orthodox Christians do believe the Trinity. And from the very beginning of the church, Christians understood the mystery of the Trinity, even before they began using that term. For example, the first Christians knew that the Son was the Creator. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. False teachers add an article. They say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. That's the way um, some Jehovah's Witnesses translate that. But again, in the text, it is properly translated. The I am of the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14 says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you to me. And Jesus, of course, in John eight fifty eight said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. In John 1, 1, the word is God. John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. Jesus' disciple, uh, uh, Thomas, addressed Jesus as my Lord and my God. That's in John chapter 20, verse 28. This particular person suggested, well, no, Thomas addressed Jesus as my Lord, and then he also said, and my God, speaking of he's addressing one and then the other, but the the original language in the Greek text doesn't allow that. When Thomas says to Jesus, autos, my Lord, 
he's not talking about two people. In other words, Thomas doesn't say, Thomas doesn't address Jesus as, and the Bible says, and he said to him, not he said to them. He said to him, he's talking about one person in the text. Autos can't mean plural. It's singular. So Jesus didn't tell Thomas he was mistaken. He didn't say, oh, you know what? You've got it all wrong, Thomas. I'm the second. I'm uh, I'm a subordinate being to God. Instead, Jesus accepted the title of God. Other people in the scripture, most notably Paul and Barnabas, refused to accept worship as God's. But to the Son, he saith in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of the kingdom. So, John calls him God. Thomas calls him God. The writer of Hebrews calls him God. And so the first Christians knew that the Holy Spirit is also a separate person with his own thoughts and will, who intercedes for us with God, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 27. And so he is a distinct person. The, the, the Spirit is not the Father, and the Spirit is not the Son. And so when the Bible speaks, Peter says to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You haven't lied to men, but to God. That verse equates the Holy Spirit as God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, Now the Lord is that Spirit. The Lord here refers to big L, big O, big R, big D. In the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 34, verse 34, Paul has just quoted the previous verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. And so, more than 60 Bible verses mention the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together. And so, the New Testament writers mention all three persons of the Trinity Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Romans chapter 15, verse 30. The list could go on and on. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. So the early believers knew that the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit, another counselor, to live in our hearts. So no, the Trinity was not invented at the Council of Nicaea. 303-873-1935. That's the number. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Happy to take your call. 303 303- 873-1935-303-873-1935. I've been talking a little bit about the Trinity. 
it just seems uh, interesting to me that so many people deny the Trinity. Now, I I get that people have differences of opinion, but or they they say that the Bible doesn't teach the Trinity, but it it really does. Now, it is true that the Church Father Tertullian was the first to apply the term trinity to god tertullian uses the term in a in a letter called against praxis that was written in 213 to explain and defend the trinity against the teaching of the contemporary praxius who espoused what was called the monarchian heresy all of this is taking place way before the Council of Nicaea in 325. So what happened in 325 was the council confirmed the official church doctrine, which Tertullian articulates to refute the monarchian heresy. And so I get, that theology is the attempt by flawed human beings to understand the words of the Bible, just as science is the attempt, sometimes the flawed attempt, for, for people to understand the facts of nature. All the facts of nature are true, just like the original words in the Bible are true. But human beings are limited and make mistakes as history continually shows. So does the Bible teach the Trinity? The answer is yes. And by the way, there's a couple of books that I would recommend that have articulated this way better than me. Uh, There was a book by Matthew Barrett called Simply Trinity, The Unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit. Also, James White has written a book called The Forgotten Trinity, Trinity. And so, again, the Christians believe that there's one God. Christians believe that the Father is God. Christians believe that the Son is God. Christians believe that the Holy Spirit is God. And so there's several misunderstandings, if you want to use that term. One is that, again, that the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible. It's a belief made up in the fourth century. Well, it is true that the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible, but the Trinity as a concept is a Bible-based belief. The word Bible doesn't appear in the Bible. Well, does that mean that there's no such thing as a Bible? The word Trinity was used to explain the eternal relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And false beliefs flourished in the early days of Christianity. They still do. And early Christians constantly defended their beliefs. And so there were several church leaders who defended the doctrine of the Trinity long 
before the Council of Nicaea, Clement, the third bishop of Rome in AD 96, uh, the teachings of the 12 apostles, uh, apostles called the Didache, Ignatius, the, the bishop of Antioch, Justin Martyr, uh, the great Christian writer, Theophilus, the sixth bishop of Antioch, Athenagoras, who was a theologian, Irenaeus, who I alluded to earlier, and Tertullian. And so for the person who says, well, Christians believe there are three gods, no, no, and no. Christians believe there is one God. God is not one plus one plus one. God is one times one times one, if you want to use a mathematical formula. The person says, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. No. Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. How do we know? According to his own claims, Jesus forgave sin. Jesus accepted worship as God and claimed to deserve the same father, uh, same honor as the Father. He claimed to be the divine Son of God. And so when you look in the Bible and you ask and you answer the question, what are the, the traits that are unique to God? Well, creation is the work of his hand, alone, according to Genesis 1.1. Isaiah 44, verse 6 says he's the first and the last, and yet in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus is the first and the last. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, he's the Lord of lords. In Psalm 90, verse 2, he's unchanging and eternal. In Genesis 18, 25, he's the judge of all people. In Isaiah 43, 11, he's the only Savior. There's no other God who can save us. And yet, when you look into the traits of Jesus, creation is the work of the hands of Jesus. Jesus is the first and the last. Jesus is the Lord of Lords. Jesus is unchanging and eternal. Jesus is the judge of all people. Jesus is the Savior of the world. According to Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, God redeems people from their sin. According to Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus redeems people from their sin and then makes them his own possession. In Jeremiah 33, verse 3, God hears and answers the prayers of those who call on him. In the New Testament, Jesus, in John 14, 14, hears and answers the prayers of those who call on him. Paul repeats that in Romans chapter 10, verse 12, and invites people to pray and to call on him. In Isaiah 43, verse 13, God claims that no one can take us out of his hand. In John chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus claims that no one can take us out of his hand. In Psalm 97, verse 7, God is worshipped by angels. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, Jesus is worshipped by angels. Well, what about the person who says that Jesus is a lesser little G-O-D than the Father. No, Jesus is co-equal with God the Father. 
people who deny this truth are using the following arguments and verses. By the way, these heresies have been asked and answered. They have been addressed and refuted as long ago as 319 A.D. And so there are verses wrongly used to teach that Christ was created. And so for the talk show host who says, well, wait a minute, Colossians 1.15, if Christ is the firstborn of, of all creation, was he created? No. Firstborn cannot mean that Christ was created because Paul says that all of creation was made in and for him and that he exists before all creation and holds it together. The firstborn traditionally was the main heir. It was the prototokos. So in context, Paul is saying that Christ as God's son is the heir of all creation. Well, does John 3.16, does only begotten son mean that Jesus had a beginning? No. Only begotten monogenesis doesn't mean that Jesus had a beginning, but rather that he's God's unique son. So, 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me in the program. I'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters reporting. Authorities say at least eight children are among 22 people who were hit by gunfire in a shooting at the conclusion of the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl victory parade Wednesday. Police say one person was killed. Kansas City Police Chief Stacy Graves says three people have been detained for investigation. Special Counsel Jack Smith has urged the Supreme Court to let former President Trump's 2020 election interference case proceed to trial without further delay. Prosecutors were responding Wednesday to a Trump team request from earlier in the week asking for a continued pause in the case as the court considers whether to take up the question of whether the former president is immune from prosecution for official acts in the White House. On Wall Street, the Dow by 151 points, the Nasdaq rose 203. More details at srnnews.com. Crowded highways, there's some problems. That drive on I-25 between downtown and the Tech Center, both directions busy. Northbound 25, ramp to eastbound 70 with crash. Enter Lakewood, a slow traffic on 6th Avenue. Car stalled out, eastbound 6th Avenue, right near Federal in the left lane. I'm Susan Thielen. This report is sponsored by Compassion International. Families in poverty are facing a global food crisis. $50 provides a food kit to feed a family for a month. Just text the word radio to 97646. Hi, this is Kim Dolan Leto, ESPN Fitness Champion and author of the book, Fit God's Way. The new year brings you a new opportunity to get healthy. Enter the Healthy You, Healthy Family Sweepstakes. You could win a fitness package worth $5,000. It includes a one-year fitness club membership for a family of four, fitness equipment, gift cards, and a copy of my new book, Fit God's Way. Make this your healthiest year yet. For complete details, go to 947fmtheword.com. Do you have an invention idea but don't know what to do next? Call InventHelp today. 
We have representatives nationwide who will explain the InventHelp process step by step. Over 10,000 patents have been secured through InventHelp's patent referral services. The InventHelp data bank includes thousands of companies who have agreed to review new ideas. We've been helping inventors since 1984. Let's help you next. Get started today. Call 1-800-217-4380. That's 1-800-217-4380. Again, 1-800-217-4380. Get ready. This week, Staples has deals so good, you're going to want to sit down. Are you sitting? I'll wait. Great. Right now, during Staples Sit-A-Thon, you can save up to $180 on select chairs. That's up to $180 off desk chairs, up to $180 off computer chairs, and up to $180 off gaming chairs. So hurry into Staples now for the Staples Sit-A-Thon and grab a seat or two. Ends 3-2. In-store only. See associate for details. Hi, my name is Ryan Bourne. And I'm Danica Bourne. And And we're we're the the owners owners of South Coast Coast Tax. We started our company 10 years ago in an effort to help our fellow Christians experiencing tax issues resolve their matters by taking a simple three-step approach. South Coast Tax are Christian-based tax accountants and attorneys that specialize in releasing bank levies, wage garnishments, and filing complex tax returns. We are the leaders in acceptance of offers and compromise with awesome results. We're also a small firm who will treat you like family, not just a number. Call us today at 1-800-TAX-1176 for a free consultation. And we'll take the time to explain all of the programs that you qualify for in order to allow you a fresh start. Proverbs 15.22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Call us today at 1-800-TAX-1176, and together we can help achieve this goal by putting the IRS debt behind you for good. Again, that number is one 800 tax 1176. 94.7 FM, the word. Now, back to Crosswalk with Chino Geraci. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. Let's see who's up. Richard, welcome to the program. Hi there, Gino. Um, I was calling because I was... Uh, Wondering if uh, when Abram met with those three three guys before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, if that was an example of the Trinity. No, that is not an oh. example of the Trinity. In other words, when when um, the, I think that we could make a case that it might be a an example of what's called a Christophany or a theophany where God shows up, but we have no reason to believe that the other um, beings who are accompanying him were anything other than perhaps angelic beings. So to, so the reason why I would say that is because only the second person of the Trinity uh, takes on a second nature, a human nature, and becomes visible. The Bible says that no one has seen God at any time. And so think about that for just a moment. What in the world could that possibly mean? There is a sense in which God is both self-existent, eternal, and invisible. And so how do we then explain um, all of the times that people allegedly see God. So what does it mean that Jesus created all things that are visible or or in Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God? And so 
that's what Paul asserts in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He says, he, that is Jesus, is the imago, the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the prototokos, the inheritor, if you will. And so Paul is making an argument that, that, that Jesus is both supreme and sovereign. And elsewhere in Romans 9, for instance, he'll make the argument that Jesus is in fact God. I see. Okay, I was just wondering. No, no, no. It's a it's it's an interesting question, and again, um, in Colossians chapter one, verses fifteen through twenty, I happen to be teaching through the book of Colossians right now, and I'm just in ending Colossians chapter two, but in Colossians chapter one, Paul gives this series of explanations of the characteristics of Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. He, when God creates humanity, he makes them in his image. The Hebrew word translated Hebrew, in image in, in Genesis 1.27 and 9.6, uh, Genesis chapter 9, could be translated like statue or an inscription or even a column or an idol. And so in the ancient cultures, they would use that word um, to describe individual deities in the temple or the statue that represented the God. And so the Bible uses this term that Jesus is the exact representation of God. And actually, it even says he is God. Yes, sir. So it's it's interesting. So, yeah, to answer your question I don't think so. I mean, as far as that Christophany example. All right. Turning, well, uh, so that's all very interesting. But, hey, thank you for your call. Thank you very much for taking my call. You're welcome. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Sheila, welcome to the program. Oh, hi. Thank you, Gino. I'm presenting uh doing an ash wednesday program for uh children my church tonight oh wow multi multi range of ages and i am just still not comfortable with explaining the ashes without getting either so scary or morbid or whatever what's what's the best way to explain the ashes i think i think think that we yeah i think we could we could do it in a couple of ways and and the the first way is the bible teaches that human beings are made of the earth of dust and to dust we are and to dust we're going to return okay, and so right. also using dust and ashes in second samuel chapter 13 for instance was used as a sign of a, a symbol for repentance. It says, and Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long oh, robe that okay. she wore. In Esther chapter 4, verse 1, um, you know, it says, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and then went out into the middle of the city and cried. Job chapter 2, verse 8 um, you'll remember that in in the horror of the loss, he sits down in ashes. Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, um, Daniel says, I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy. 
with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And so you can say the ash becomes a type and a picture of our sorrow for sin, our mourning over sin. But then, 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 then the other thing I would say is, and then it gives us a way to begin the first day of a journey towards the cross. So for the next 40 days, we are now going to look away from ourselves and look to Jesus. So this day has traditionally been, that, that doesn't mean that all year round we don't think about the resurrection of Jesus. But sure. now we're given permission to think about the resurrection of Jesus in a focused fashion. That's the way I think I would say it. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. That is absolutely perfect. Um, thank you, because I've been nervous about this, because I've tried different ways, and nothing sounded non-scary. We, well, from dust, you, you know, ashes, that's scary to a child, I think. That, right. that concept of starting out as ashes and then going back to ashes, that's a hard or thing. Yeah, or, or we might think of, of something else, too. You know, again, dust we are to dust we're going to return. Right. But ash also becomes a symbol, like I said, of repentance and mourning, okay. but also a reminder that we are in a temporary circumstance, but that the resurrection of Jesus is going to put us in a permanent glorified circumstance. Oh, oh, okay. I love that. Okay. Okay, that is, I'm writing this down. Thank you so much. Okay, that is perfect. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm glitching. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm back. So just again, um, quickly. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.